Hello, magic seekers, and welcome to It Turns Out She's a Witch. We're your hosts, Laura and Shannon, and, and welcome, welcome to, to our, our podcast coven. beautiful podcast coven. Laura and I are so happy to be back with you this magical week. We sure and are. We are. And just a little heads up, we've currently got a massive storm going on while we're yes. trying to record a Zoom a with someone um, very special. Yes. So, uh, and as a lot of you would know, I live in a tiny cabin at the moment <laughs> with a tin roof, so it's pretty loud. So I apologise. Yeah, we'll just have to um, take it as some beautiful background rain music. That's right. As we record. It's setting the scene. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we have another very special guest in store this week and we have been so excited to bring this one to you. She is a priestess, creatrix and teacher who has been gathering the women to circle, celebrate, sing and share since 2008. She co-created with her husband, Mark, Zori Goddesses at Bridges Grove, original goddess sculptures, ceremony kits, and more. She's the author of nine books, including Woman Runes, Earth Prayer, The Goddess Devotional, She Lives Her Poems, Sunlight on Cedar, Whole and Holy, and The Red Tent Resource Kit. And we have her here today to talk about her beautiful book released in 2021 by Womancraft Publishing, Walking with Persephone. Part memoir, part poetry, part soul guide, this book invites us to open our eyes to the wonder all around, encouraging the reader to look within for truths about living, but also to the earth, the air, the animals and plants we all share our lives with. Joining us all the way from Missouri, a huge warm welcome to Molly Rima. Hey. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, we are so excited and Lara yeah. and I both just thoroughly enjoyed your book and yeah. at times <laughs> tears and all the feels while reading it, that's for sure. But um, I yeah. can't wait for our listeners to, yeah, to hear all of your wisdom today. Yeah, so, experience the book. It's just beautiful. And so first of all, a question I always ask our guests, what does the word which mean to you? Okay, so I was thinking about that question this morning, and I really feel like witch to me means someone who like fully embodies their own power or who has stepped into, let's say, and accepted their own power, and also who is kind of self-sovereign in her magic. So that's what I would think of for witch. I have written about that in the past because the priestess and the witch can kind of be, you know, complementary experiences or almost sometimes used synonymously. I think sometimes people use the word priestess because it's safer than witch. Mm, Priestess can be dangerous too, though. You know, priestess can be dangerous. (laughs) Witch has that air of danger kind of to it. And, uh, but the, the sovereignty element of witch compared to priestess a priestess has to be acknowledged by her community. You know, you can't priestess in a vacuum. You can't priestess alone, per se. I mean, all of us are 
you know, we can priestess our own hearths and we can be kind of priestess of our own altar spaces. But in general, priestess has like a community definition and a responsiveness to community. And a witch kind of stands alone, you know, and she can stand in community, but kind of stands alone. So that's what was coming to mind this morning when I was thinking about the question. Mm, Beautifully said. Yeah. Yeah. I love love that. that. Um, Molly, I'm so excited to talk with you about your book, but I thought we would start off with who is Persephone? Can you give us a brief rundown on her mythology for the listeners who may not be aware of her? Yes. Okay. So Persephone is a Greek maiden goddess of the springtime and her original story or like her core myth, as I explore in the book, there's, you know, other layers to it, Mm. maybe beyond what you see on the surface of the story to begin with. But her core story is that she's the daughter of Demeter, the grain goddess, the earth goddess. And she is, um, yeah, maiden, springtime associated with like new growth and all those kinds of things. And um, one day when she's frolicking in the meadow, smelling the flowers, Hades, who's the god of the underworld, like emerges from the underworld and kidnaps her and drags her away to the underworld where she then becomes his wife and eventually the queen of the underworld. Uh, she eats six percent, uh, six not Persephone seeds, six pomegranate seeds while she's in the underworld, which kind of binds her to the underworld forever. So Demeter is so sad to have lost her daughter that she wails around the earth looking for her and the takes away the fertility of the earth, the fecundity of the earth evaporates in Demeter's grief as she searches for Persephone. So there's kind of an eternal winter that sets in until she can get her daughter back. And so the, uh, a deal is struck that Persephone can leave the underworld for six months of the year. And then she has to return for the second half of the year because she ate those six, those six pomegranate seeds while she was down there. And so when Persephone returns, she brings the spring with her again and the you know flowers all grow and everything. So she kind of unifies, as I explore in the book, she kind of brings together multiple archetypes in one, that maiden kind of... Um, freshness but also this deep underworld journey queen queen of darkness you know kind of Mm. as well kind of marrying those two together in what might seem like opposites but really are complementary yeah the light and the dark yes one more thing is that I do I favor Charlene Spretnick's interpretation of Persephone's story which she revisions through a feminist lens as a tale of a daughter's individuation from her mother. And so with that revisioning, the theme of the story becomes kind of this this differentiation of self. And so her story is more like Persephone, you know, spots Hades in the garden is kind of like, hey, tall, dark, and underworld, you know, what's going on? And separates from her mother of her own free will and goes off to live her separate life and her separate experience. So obviously, like, from a feminist perspective, I, I, um, you know, favor that kind of story. But the classic story is the abduction and the kind of being held, again, you know, held in the underworld. Okay. That's an important point to acknowledge, though. The empowering one. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, yeah. And I think that was one of the things that I really came to uh, perhaps maybe still be answering for myself now, <laughs> even after having finished the book, is that the differentiation between choice and force in our lives and how we make our decisions. And I feel like 
particularly women at this midlife kind of stage where you've got kids and you've got parents and you've got a partner and you've got work and you're balancing a lot of threads, the perception of choice can become fuzzy and there can be a sensation of, I have to do this, 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 and I don't have any choices because so-and-so needs me, so-and-so needs me, this needs me, I'm going to answer this email, I'm going to answer this phone call, et cetera. And the, the sensation of being kind of forced in our own lives can set in. And so one of the things that working with Persephone and writing that book really helped for me is kind of differentiating between the reality of choice and what is actually forced and what is actually choice. And the reality of how many things I have chosen and still choose and the reality of how often there's choice involved and it isn't forced. So I might feel like I have to do this, 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 but do I really have to do this, 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 and this? And a lot of times there's a huge element of choice to those tasks that we tell ourselves we have no choice about. And so I still feel like I'm working on that (laughs) because those patterns and those knots can be tricky to untie. And other people do have needs and, you know, the taxes have to be paid and the car has to be fixed. And, you know, <laughs> there's things that have to happen. Yes. But there's a lot of choice. There's a lot of choice that underlies a lot of what we do. And when you step back and look at like, wait a second, like this is active choice here. Then you yeah. can make changes. You can make changes. So I love I that. Love it's that. it's yeah. so true. <laughs> it's so true. You're singing our song. <laughs> <laughs> And I found so much magic in your book and it truly resonated with me very deeply. So I'm 43. I've been married for 23 years. I've been a mother for 22 years. And the last five years in particular, I've been on a deep journey of reclaiming parts of myself. And as I said before, I was in tears reading certain parts of your book, especially around those middle-age realisations and feeling so tired with that daily grind and craving some space for yourself. So what inspired you to write this work and how did the title come about? Mm, Okay, good question. And (laughs) I do want to acknowledge uh, quickly that I think that that perimenopausal stage of being in the 40s is kind of a classic time to you're recalibrating. You know, it's a recalibration time where you're looking at you're looking at your life, you know, and you're kind of moving from the tending stage of life to what else is there? You know, what Mm. else is here? which is why that self-sovereignty aspect, the queen of the underworld aspect spoke to me so much about the second half of Persephone's journey too. But anyway, the book (laughs) did not start out the way it ended up at all, which I think is a classic, you know, that's how books are. Sometimes they have their own story that they want to tell almost. And so when I started writing this book, I had a completely different, it's, it's, I had a completely different vision for what I was going to be. And I had been, wanting to write a book that was kind of a handbook almost to goddess-centered spiritual practice, like a focus on goddess-centered spiritual practice. That's what I wanted to do. And I thought, I'll start it and I'll divide it into four sections and it'll be divided into like earth, air, you know, fire, water. I'll pick a goddess that goes with each of those elements and I'll thematically like lay out this book around this goddess for earth and here's what we can learn for her, this goddess from air and this is what we can learn from her and and kind of like that. And it was supposed to be, it was originally going to be kind of like this manual. And then I thought, oh, and I'll put some, you know, little stories about my own life in there. (laughs) 
or whatever. <laughs> and that's not what happened to it at all. <laughs> and so I started writing it and uh, Persephone kind of came to me unexpectedly. Wow. And I'm kind of like, okay, well, this isn't what I was thinking. I was going to write about Gaia. I was going to, you know, I had like a different idea, <laughs> but I thought, let me, let me see where this goes. You know, let's see where this goes with Persephone. And, and that thread remains throughout the book of me kind of wondering, like, how long is this going to last? Like, how much do I need to learn? Like, how far am I going to go? <laughs> And essentially, I just kept, you know, checking in and it's kind of like, oh, I still have more to do. Oh, I still have more to learn. And so that original structure just evaporated because that's not the story that was there. That's not the story that was like wanting to be told. And um, so uh, anyway, I just like I followed the story. And that's one of the things I write early in the book is that my task felt like it was to look at listen to and learn from the story of my life as it's writing itself right now. No going backwards, no rewinding, no excavating, you know, the childhood stories, no like trying to, I had this point where I was thinking, oh, I'll gather together all these other resources. These things I've already written. You know, I have, um, I wrote my dissertation about priestessing in the United States. I've written, you know, I wrote a thesis about goddess, um, like earth-based spirituality, goddess-centered kind of spirituality and and like women's bodies and the earth and all that kind of stuff. And I had thought, oh, I'll pull together all these things I've already written. You know, like I'll go, um, you know, I have all these essays about theology and I have all these like, you know, kind of academic resources, like kind of making a case for the goddess, you know, and I was going to like pull all that stuff together. And I was, it was going to be like so informative. And then I thought, that's fantastic. Like, <laughs> that, well, yeah, that's a good idea. It's still yeah. a good idea. But yeah. the sensation of needing to go backwards and like excavate yeah. all these things was very weighty. You know, I have like 800 pages of things I could go through. Mm. And I had this insight, like, I'm going to start from right here. I'm starting from right here, right now, this day. I'm not going backwards into all those things I've already written or already thought. What's happening right now? And that kind of became a dominant theme of the book is what's happening yeah. right now. Not yeah. what you're, not what you thought you wanted or what you thought you were going to write about. So it had its own, it had its own like path and its own story. And I actually am working on the Goddess Centered Spiritual Practice book now. It took me like that long to, to get that one back out. And so that mm. one, I'm about 51,000 words into that one right now. And wow. so it, it's it's ready now, but I feel like I maybe had to do the personal walk first yeah, before yeah, I could like it. on. That process. <laughs> oh, and so the Walking with Persephone name for a long time the book had a working title of the mat was called the magic of place when I started writing it ah. because it was about that it was really about like the magic of where you are the magic of place mm -hmm. you know where do you find yourself and one of my goals in writing the book was like how you know how can I go on this quest <laughs> to like excavate my soul and like mm -hmm. rebuild myself without running away and living in a yurt <laughs> <laughs> alone, alone in the wilderness, you know, like, how can I rebuild my soul? How can I excavate these fragments? How can I pull myself back together in the context of the house, the kids, the husband, the work, like without abandoning those things, like what can I do with where I am right now? So it was called the magic of place because I was writing about that magic of place, like where, you know, where am I and how do you touch into that? And so then after I submitted the manuscript, still called The Magic Place, after I submitted the manuscript to Woman Health Publishing, it was um, <clears throat> it was approximately 200,000 words longer than it actually is now. 
Oh, wow. And what? So, uh, so Lucy actually cut out, Lucy, the editor at Womancraft, she cut out 200,000 of my precious babies. <laughs> That's six <laughs> more books. And yeah. What, what really happened is she kind of helped to excavate that thread, which was ah. walking with Persephone. Like the okay. So instead of all those other pieces, you know, I had yep. a whole section about skunks that I saw, you know, like that kind of yep. stuff. Like, <laughs> so, so she helped distill down the thread yes. that was walking with Persephone, that midlife okay. journey. <clears throat> oh, wow. And she said, she suggested the title to me based on the, you know, the, the themes that had emerged in the book. But I looked back in my own notes from the whole year prior, and I had actually proposed another project that I called Walking with Persephone at that time. Wow. So the title was already there in my mind, somehow, some way. Yeah. And I think it's really awesome that she also got that title from what I wrote, even though yeah. it wasn't the title that I had originally chosen or thought. It wasn't what I thought I was writing. Oh my goodness. That is beautiful. I yeah. love that. And I also um, love about your book how as you just said before about, you know, that ideal of being able to run away by yourself into a year yeah. to do all the spiritual work, but that's not reality for 99% of us. <laughs> so I think that's what I really deeply loved about your book is you give practical ways that anyone can tap into what's happening around them right now and to find meaning in those signs. And yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I really loved about it. It was attainable yeah, thank you. and doable. Yeah. I had, I had written a poem, um, I had written a poem a couple of years ago that I called a lonely mystic, which was about that. Like, I wish I was a lonely mystic, you know, dwelling in <laughs> devotion, um, you know, every, every step of prayer, you know, every word of blessing or whatever. Mm. And I had written it based, I was reading a book about um, female mystics of the, um, you know, like a long time ago, female mystics, like thousands couple thousand years ago type of female mystics and uh so I was like I want to be a female, I want to be a, a lonely mystic like dwelling in devotion like every step of prayer and so romantic uh, isn't it and then I know it right because you have this vision like oh yeah. just lonely mystic in and a beautiful the long gown yes. <laughs> yes exactly roses maybe some nice roses and like you know yeah. yeah it's really great and so then the second half of the poem is instead I am a mama mystic you know yeah. and so like with my yeah. hands in the dough and my kids in the you know the hand and the child's hand in mine I am still dwelling in devotion every step of prayer oh. you know the like it's the, you can still have those things so yeah <laughs> every mm-hmm. step of prayer or a plead <laughs> Oh, lovely. Um, So yeah, let's dig into a piece in your book. Um, Can you let our listeners know about the experiment you embarked on? And we would love it if you could read out the intentions you set for yourself when starting on your journey. Yes. And uh, yeah, so I called it that experiment. And I feel like maybe it's still ongoing. You know, it's an ongoing experiment of uh, almost like a recentering, recentering oneself into one's own life instead of being pulled in a million directions. So my experiment and the experiment was in, you know, soul rebuilding without running away, basically like soul rebuilding without running away. And so what I had written was I will visit the woods every day and write down what I learn. I will go for a walk every day in as many new small backyard journeys as I can. I will watch for messages I will be alert for signs. I will be open to as much magic as I can be. I will redefine and minimize my time on social media. 
I will restructure and renegotiate my work schedule and work life. I will trust myself. I will allow myself to feel. I will ask myself what I want, really, really want, and I will do that. I will let projects, things, and people go. I will read the books I want to read, and I will sink into my own life and rebuild the practices that sustain me. I will remember that I am a conduit for the holy. I will walk in the hand of the goddess, and I will let her love me back to myself. I will walk on the land, kneel on the stones, listen to the flowers, learn from the trees, and sing with the river. I will say no as much as possible so that I can have room to laugh again. I will stand up for my own needs and rights. I will walk away. I will walk toward. I will claim my own power. I will allow my own magic to well up and sing through my veins. I will claim myself. I will go to bed when I want to. I will pee when I need to. <laughs> I will lie on the floor and let the tightness in my back and shoulders melt into the earth. I will know myself as whole and worthy and capable, but capable will no longer define me as my primary reason for being. I will listen, truly listen to my soul. I will wander and wonder and uncover what I know as I explore the terrain both within and without with tender, fierce commitment and depth. I will coax my own truth out of hiding. I will allow myself the opportunity to experience daily delight. I will give myself time, great wide swaths of beautiful time. I will defragment my brain and reweave my spirit. Hmm. Keep going. Am I right? Wow. So beautiful. And the thing, the thing about that, as you had said, like these, like those, those things can all be done, like really mm. in the context of an everyday life and an ordinary life of an everyday mystic instead of a lonely mystic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I, yeah, I really hope our listeners pick up your book and delve into it because it's just, it's a big kick in the bum, I think as well. Like you can <laughs> do this and it's up to us to make the time and to put ourselves um, as a priority. And I think, especially as mothers, it's so easy to put yourself very, very, very last before all the things. And as you would know, like you, if you don't hold your self-care in high regard and your spirituality and your connection to yourself and spirit, then that's when things fall apart. Like I always say that's mm -hmm. when I fall off the spiritual wagon is, you know, when mm -hmm. I end up in those low points in my life is when I'm not doing the things the uh, that connect me. Yeah. Yeah. When you yeah. feel, when you feel like depleted and drained and tired and like not refilled or not sustained like I'm not a, I'm not like the kind of mother I want to be when I feel that way either mm. you know I snappy I yell more than I want to I'm not patient I don't want to play mm -hmm. because I'm not like restored and so mm -hmm. yes going outside by myself and like wandering out of the woods for an hour is um you know perhaps that sounds like an indulgence or whatever but when I come back I'm much better able to be present and kind to the people that I love instead of feeling like I'm trapped and trying to, I had written another poem at one point that said, I feel like I'm trying to chew off, you know, my own leg to get away. And, you know, maybe that sounds a little, you know, maybe that sounds a little dramatic or no, something. I've been there. But yeah, sometimes you have that feeling like the only way to get out is if I yeah. skirt nine, my own wrist. And yeah. At that time, the end of my poem is, turns out eating lunch solved this. You were just angry. I was just angry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's so, just so any, true. 
Oh, it is. It is. I think that's what I love about you. You just keep it real. You keep it real yeah. and we can relate. <laughs> oh, so much. You'd be reading every line just going, shit, is she looking at me? Like, she's writing about my life here. I think I read the line, I feel so consumed. I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been there, that's for sure. So if any of our listeners are considering working with a specific goddess or seeking to find one to connect with on their journey, what should they consider? Mm. So um, I really think like being open to the surprise is important. And I think people often feel almost a pressure to choose, you know, like I'm going to now kind of like I did at the beginning of the book, I'm going to write this and it's going to be about Gaia and it's going to be about, mm. you know, um, I forget who else I was thinking was going to be in there, Bridget maybe, or somebody. And, um, and so they feel almost like a pressure to choose. And then also the other thing I notice is feeling kind of, uh, left out almost if they're not chosen, you know, so mm-hmm. if I don't have a goddess to work with, you know, does nobody like me kind of <laughs> sensation. And so I say like, be open to like being surprised by who might, who you might connect with. And I always suggest starting with the goddess, you know, that great grand web of mm-hmm. incarnation that holds the whole and don't rush to put a label on it or try to push too hard to figure it out. And so you can start with the goddess or just, you know, a sensation of the goddess. It doesn't have to be something you don't have to choose from the beginning. And then once you have that practice established, then be kind of alert for like signs and symbols and pieces of the story and things that recur. So very often you will notice things recur. You know, maybe you keep coming to literal crossroads, you know, in your life. Maybe you um, see crows. Maybe you uh, are attracted to certain like stories or myths or symbols or um ideas. And then there can be also little nudges, dreams. Like I know a lot, often people will have an experience with the goddess in a dream. You can ask for a dream too, you know, before you go to bed at night, be like, you know, can I, may I please have a dream of who I would, who I'm I'm going to work with, who, you know, who is out there for me? May I have a dream and wait for the dream. Uh, You can do a guided visualization. I have a visualization that's called meeting the goddess that involves like going on a journey and meeting the goddess. And a lot of people find that that goddess that they meet in that journey, like becomes someone that they go on to work with Mm -hmm. more in depth. Um, you can, oh, other things, you know, oracle cards, you know, if you, if you have a goddess centered oracle card deck, you know, who recurs, who falls mm. out of the deck, you know, when you pick it up, somebody falls out repeatedly, who do you pick over and over? But my main thing is don't rush it. Like don't feel pressured. Don't feel obligated and don't rush it or force it. Like mm. wait and wait and be surprised to see what you discover. Wait and see what whispers, you know, and you, what I find is you will get the nudge, you know, you will get the, you will get the whisper. And sometimes people have kind of, you know, a big moment, Mm -hmm. goddess lightning (laughs) strike of inspiration, but very often the moments are quiet and they're, they're nudges and they're whispers and they're little signs that recur. And the, the, um, 
you know, the the voice is perhaps quieter than what you might imagine when you see other people's stories or, you know, their Instagram feeds or the beautiful robes or whatever it is that you're seeing. Dang, you know, how come I didn't have this dramatic experience? Well, because a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times it's more subtle than that. So, but be alert, you know, alert for what's there in your, in your world, but also meditations and things like that can help dreams can help give you, give you a direction Mm. and um, further explore. You can also, I, I had, um, there is a, a couple, there's a couple of techniques and one of them is like a walking with the goddess technique where you actually set out on a walk, you know, and you Mm. start out on your journey with the intention of I am walking, you know, to meet the goddess. And so you can ask, just like asking for the dream, you can ask, you know, like basically who, who's out there, you know, that would like to work with me. Or if you have a specific idea, you know, like you're thinking about Ellen of the ways or something like that, and you kind of want to explore, like maybe there's a potential for a connection, then you can set out like on an actual physical walk and walk until you see something, hear something, feel something, leave something, you know, get a message, a sign, a symbol. Anyway, so there's actually like a a method of, of walking with a goddess to find, to kind of find that experience. And you can do it, um, you know, as a mental visualization too, but I'm a big fan of actually, I'm a big fan of actually like stepping into the world. Yeah. 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 That's all very sage advice. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I know myself, um, I work a lot with Artemis and Mm -hmm. I didn't seek her out at all. I was doing a body of work and I knew I was working with someone. (laughs) I just wasn't (laughs) sure who. But at that time, um, I kept seeing her name everywhere. So I met someone with that name. I would open (laughs) a book up and the name would be there or it'd be a character Mm. in a book or um. The one that really blew me away where I was like, okay, I can't, I get it. I get it. Um, I was going to a circle and I had to bring uh, four items for each element. And I went into like a $2 shop and bought a red candle in a little red glass jar. And uh, I went away and done this beautiful um, ceremonial work. And when I came home, I didn't realize uh, the candle had kind of burnt down. And I thought, oh, it's such a pretty jar. I'll keep it. And put it in some hot water to clean it out. And I didn't know, but in the bottom of the glass was the word Artemis. And oh. I was like, oh, okay. So it was just those uh-huh. repetitive, yeah, breadcrumbs. Absolutely. Of, she kept mm-hmm. showing up and showing up and showing up. And I didn't even really know who she was. And then I started to look into it and so much mm-hmm. resonated and with her symbolism. And I was like, okay. So mm-hmm. Yes, and that's what I most often yeah, that's what I most often find is that the the presence kind of approaches gradually and 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 subtly, and it's not something necessarily that you're like, I'm going to go through the cookbook and I'm going to pick out Artemis because <laughs> I need strength or whatever, you know. Like, yeah. it's a, and I, I don't mean to diminish those kinds of experiences because I think for some people mm-hmm. it is that it can be that clear and dramatic. But my observation of other people's lives too, and then in my own, is that it's often very gradual too that you and you start to notice sometimes patterns that maybe you hadn't you know you'll look backwards in time and be like oh wait a second like Mm. remember that remember that remember that and the pieces start to kind of come together um sometimes for a longer period of time than you had realized Mm. that's all fascinating I love it yeah makes total (laughs) sense um Molly can you explain to our listeners what cauldron month is I absolutely loved this concept 
Yes. Uh, so, oh, so the Calder Month idea came to me in 2016 when I had, I was recovering from a uh, cough that I had developed that, uh, it was one of those, okay, so I write about this in another book, I think I might have touched on it in, in Persephone too, that um, I had a recurrent pattern of getting like sick every year in the summer with something that would kind of linger. And I would always have kind of a sensation beforehand of like, I can't keep going at this pace, at this rate, I can't keep pushing this hard or something bad's going to happen to me. I like had that feeling of like, if I keep pushing like this, something bad's going to happen. And in 2016, I developed this cough and it started, I was standing, I was actually standing in the river with my friends. We had our rope. We did have flowing robes, by the way, we had our beautiful flowing robes on and we were taking pictures for my priestessing class. And, and we'd been like singing and we were at the river and it started to rain on us. And I started to cough at the same time. And, uh, I coughed from June until January (laughs) that year. I could not shake it. I could not shake this cough. And I, you know, I didn't, I never went to the doctor about it because I was always going to go tomorrow. It was going to get better tomorrow. (laughs) And, uh, so I just coughed that long. I still don't know what made me cough that way for that many, that many months, but I was, so I was really like depleted from this cough and I was thinking like, what do I need? Blah, blah, blah. So I, I had this thought and I wrote about that in the Persephone book too. It's like, so this was back in 2016, but I kept having this, this sensation. Like if I could do what I really wanted to do, it would be to lie on the floor. Oh yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. That's my only goal. That's my only goal for my life is to just lie on the floor. (laughs) And so I'm coughing and I thought I'm going to do it. I'm going to lie on the floor, just like my dominant fantasy, you know, my, my (laughs) ultimate goal for myself. I'm going to finally let myself have it. And so I laid on the floor. I actually coughed enough that I couldn't continue lying on the floor. I had to sit up. Um, but I did this moon goddess ally journey. It was called the moon goddess ally journey. I think it was her name. The person who led it was Roz, um, Simons or something like that. And, uh, in the journey, you travel to the temple. <clears throat> this is going to be a long story. I'm sorry. You travel oh, to the temple for it. <laughs> Go on. and, uh, and you meet the moon goddess. And so I'm lying on the floor. I actually have a little temple building in my yard that I call the tiny temple. And so I was actually lying on the floor of the temple and I was listening to this meditation about being in the temple. And I was kind of thinking about how wonderful that you can actually, I'm actually really here in my temple. I don't yeah. have to just imagine that I'm actually here. And, um, and so I met the moon goddess and then she was supposed to give you like a symbol or a gift or something. And I turned around after meeting the goddess in the journey and on the floor of the temple was this massive cauldron rune from woman runes. I have a um, woman runes is a system of divination with these little symbols. And so the rune itself, so it wasn't a cauldron, like a big black cauldron. It was the symbol from the rune system was emblazoned on the floor of the temple. So giant that it's, you know, bigger than the, it was as big as the whole floor. And it was like rippling and kind of shining in this vision. And I woke, I not woke up. I got up coughing <laughs> and <laughs> thought that's what I need I need to bring my life to the cauldron I need to put it all into the cauldron metaphorically dump it all in let it like bubble and brew scoop out the stuff that I don't want anymore let the things kind of meld together but I need to like take my life to the cauldron and let it like stew 
<laughs> and that. let myself kind of steep, steep. I need to steep and not be out here doing all the stuff. I need this time to steep in the cauldron. So I took the month of August off that year and I called it a cauldron month. And I was like, this is the month in which I'm pulling it in and I'm going to yeah. steep it. See what happens like in the cauldron. The cauldron's like a, you know, a, a um, place of alchemy and transformation mm. and change. So I'm going to steep it all in the cauldron. And so I didn't write new things. I did, I did this like withdrawal kind of thing. Anyway, and then I did it every year since then. Um, in August, I do a cauldron month and it essentially involves this withdrawal from external things to steep essentially is what it is, what it involves. And okay. uh, I had that weird pattern of getting sick. Uh, multiple times got a sinus infection the, the next year and then uh, in the Persephone book I fell down in uh mm. <laughs> with the month before in the previous years it had always been in July you know so I could be like oh I'm getting ready for my culture yeah. <laughs> and then I fell I fell in June and I'm like oh dang I'm still like Still oh, out of condition in July and need the cauldron. So I've joked that I need a cauldron year, you know, where yeah. I just like really, yeah. like, Sometimes really might. Yes. But I was going to say, I also have a, I have a whole like, um, I guess I'd call it like a cauldron month resource kit, so to speak. I've got like some, there's like a 40 minute audio and like three three card layouts and a guided meditation and things like that. And I can send you the link if you want to send it to other people, because it's like oh, a whole, like, fantastic. you know, here's that how to have amazing. Here's yes. your, here's your card layouts to figure it out. And then there's a meditation, like going into the cauldron. So yeah. get ready. I to love steep. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get Definitely. Ready to steep, so. Nice. Beautiful. And at the end of your book, you finish off with tasks for rebuilding the soul and practical mm. guidance. So would you mind reading these out for our listeners? Because I found them just so beautiful. Such a, a great way to finish off the book. Okay. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> I put a bookmark in the other section. I didn't put a bookmark in this one. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> <laughs> okay so and uh the thing about these tasks for rebuilding the soul too is it's one of those things like if I started out in advance thinking like I'm gonna write down 10 steps and that's how it's gonna yeah. be yeah. um that that's like not really what happened I would just learn I would learn the step as I went like oh this is the step you know and then I would know what it was so tasks mm -hmm. for rebuilding the soul uh one allow a wide margin for magic learn from the elements Learn how to rest. Keep your promises to yourself. No forcing. Show up for everything. Take a break. Remember to laugh. Embrace the ebb and flow of life and being. Don't give up. Witness without fixing. Get out of your own way. And keep listening. So perfect. Beautiful. It is. See why there's a whole book centered around each and every one of those. <laughs> That's right. Points. And then uh, the practical guidance is about ideas for connecting with the magic of place. And as I mentioned, that was the, the original working title of the book was about the magic of place. Because I really find, you know, there's magic everywhere. I say that too. There's stories in the smallest places. There's magic everywhere. And so I really feel like, you know, even if you're on the interstate <laughs> driving somewhere you can look out the window and see a hawk on the fence post or a vulture in the sky or 
a sunflowers in bloom by the side of the road or wherever you are, there's like a place to find, to, a place to spot the magic kind of everywhere all, all the time. And so these were some of my ideas for connecting with the magic of place. So first is to look what grows plants, trees, flowers, shrubs, like what's alive, you know, what's growing. I had practically a, you know, spiritual enlightenment experience with a rose in the McDonald's drive-thru once. <laughs> so like, you know, like, I love that. Magic if it can happen there. there. It can happen anywhere. Right. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, there's, there's met, surprisingly, there could be roses in the McDonald's drive-thru too. Like you don't just have to be waltzing in the beautiful garden or at a sacred site. You don't have to be on the mm. island of Crete or visiting the, yeah. the temple to find the magic. There can be roses in the, in the drive-thru. Mm-hmm. Um, and then look for what moves. So animals, people, spiders, lizards, snails, worms, what's moving where you are. Look for what flies and looking for what flies is really great because you can almost always no matter where you are, you can almost always see a bird. So birds, bees, bugs, butterflies, you know, what's flying where you are. Look for the steady and stable physical landmarks, hills, valleys, mountains, rock formations, rivers, and lakes. And look for the guardians of the land. Where are, do you have a perception of something standing sentinel? You know, what's there? Um, Is there something that's keeping watch? And so I think in the Persephone book, I was in a hotel in Nashville. We were on a drive and I was in a hotel in Nashville. And, you know, hotels are not really great for like being spiritual in them. But I looked out (laughs) the window and I saw there was like three, you know, there's three kind of hills or mountains, like kind of off in the distance. And I was like, oh, those are like the guardians of this place. Like they're there, Mm. even though there's a bunch of city buildings and cars and interstates and things like that. There's still those those mountains you could see. Uh, look for transient environmental aspects, clouds, sky, wind, rainbows, sunset, sunrise, rain, ice, mist, shadows, sunbeams. Notice colors, sounds, smells, physical sensations in yourself. You know, do you feel mm-hmm. like tight? Do you feel open? Do you feel safe? Do you feel scared? You know, whatever. Uh, textures, temperature, and mood. And the mood can be yourself. It can be the landscape itself, the people around you. You know, what's the mood? And then look for small, movable physical features. Sticks, stones, shells, acorn seeds, feathers, even poop and leaves. <laughs> what, do you see? what do you see around transient physical feature that's going to go away? Not not something that's standing sentinel, but something that will, will blow away or change. So that was some of those reminded me of the part in your book where you get pooped on by a bird mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I never did get that poem back that I was writing either no. like I was writing a poem it was gonna be full of insights oh, I so kept waiting me. for it so funny but that was the message wasn't it learn to laugh that's it <laughs> Um, Okay, I adore your work at Bridget's Grove and I recommend our listeners to head on over to your Instagram to follow. What led you to create Goddess Art? Tell us all about this because it's so cute. Okay, well, I started making Goddess Art when I was pregnant with my first baby, Mm. who is 18 now. And I, so I worked with uh, felt first, I did needle felting. And I had wanted to make uh, some kind of, you know, birth art to represent that pregnant pregnancy journey with him and to kind of inspire me or empower me, like to prepare me for his birth. And I read birthing from within the Pam England book. And I, so I needle felted a little, 
a little goddess. And uh, I just, she was all white with white wool. And then I made her with this really like <sighs> hair that was sticking up all over. Nice. And, um, and I, so I kept, I kept making uh, needle felted pieces after that. And they all had this, they would have this hair and they were always pregnant. And uh, I kept making those for a while. And then I made, I sold them to some people and things like that, made them for, you know, gifts for doulas and things. And then I, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I started working in clay instead. So she, uh, my pregnancy with her happened after two pregnancy losses. I had a second trimester loss of my third baby. And then I had an early first trimester loss of another pregnancy before I was pregnant with her. And that had really been this, this underworld journey too, of like grief and loss and pain and a loss of trust. So I had the two boys first and everything was great with them. And then I had these two losses and, um, and I really, it really uh, affected a lot of my trust in my body and my trust in, you know, kind of my faith in like things working out or all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of, it was kind of like a crisis type of experience for me. And so then I was pregnant with her. I was really like, I needed something to like re-bring back um, my identification with pregnancy as like safe, normal, healthy, going to end up with a baby at the end kind of experience. And uh, so I started making these little clay goddesses as a way to like, bring myself back into, uh, I called it, you know, pregnant woman, like capital P capital W almost like an archetype, you know, how can I bring myself back to like having it be safe to inhabit this archetype of pregnant woman instead of like grieving and all that kind of thing. And, uh, so I made these little sculptures and, uh, and then I, I had, you know, I had, I, I made like a series, you know, first there's pregnant, then there was one getting ready for labor, then there was one giving birth. And so I like held on to the giving birth one, while I was getting ready to have her, you know, like I would, wow. I did these, I was doing a lot of like work with myself to try to make it be safe, you know, to, to try to make it be, to believe that she was going to be born and she was going to be alive. And, um, and I, uh, so I made the little sculpture of like the, the goddess, like pushing the baby out. And then I would hold on to it where I did my little meditations about having my healthy baby. And I actually allowed myself, this is a side note, but I actually allowed myself to go all the way into the, you know, you, you, when you have grief, when you have sadness, when you have fear, a lot of times the temptation is to like push it away. Like, don't think about it. You're going to make bad things happen. Don't think about it. You're gonna make bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And one of a pivotal turning point for me in that pregnancy was when I thought I'm going to go ahead and walk into the fear and I'm going to imagine all the most terrible things that could happen. And I'm going to let them all the way in, which I talk about in Persephone too, that witnessing without fixing, you know, instead of trying to force it away, instead of trying to make it better, what if I just cracked open and I let it go? Boom. Like, what if I just let it all the way through me, this fear that she might die, this fear that everything's going to go terribly wrong, that I'm going to be miserable again, that I'm going to be so grief stricken again. What if I just let that all the way in? And I let it all the way in, like all the way through. And, um, and then I made another little goddess. So I made yeah. goddess. then she was born, then she was born and she was healthy and she yeah. was alive. And, um, and I was so glad to have her. And uh, so then I kept making the little goddesses. Like I'd make the little goddess who was nursing the baby. And then I would make the little goddess who had the little baby in the sling. And then I would make, I still have one. I made the little. I got her. (laughs) Where she has like the little, she's got the little children. She's got the little baby. So it's kind of like a 3D. I called it like a journey. It was a 3D journal. 
almost yeah. of this experience. Yep. So sorry, it's going so long. Then oh, after that, those, people, started asking, people started asking me to buy them, you know, so it was only for me. This was like about, this was a process of like, again, kind of rebuilding myself yeah. through something physical that I could hold on to, you know, like that creation. this little, yeah. this little goddess can have a baby. So can I, you know, this little goddess can nurse the baby. So can I, this little goddess is, and I, eventually the baby in my series is standing up next to the mother with just her hand on the shoulder, you know, so Aww. she's, she's gotten big enough and safe enough that she can stand on her own two feet, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, so people started asking me to buy them. And I started an Etsy shop and I would make these little goddesses like with clay. And I quickly realized like, you know, making things by hand to people's specifications, you know, kind of as a way to make approximately like $800 a year. You know? <laughs> 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 Oh, I'm hearing you. I've been there. That's right. And I thought there's got to be like a better way to, or there's got to be another way to do this. And so my husband learned how to make molds out of silicone. And and so he made molds and we started casting the goddesses instead. For a long Mm -hmm. time, I only made pregnant and breastfeeding things because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to alienate my doula, childbirth educator, midwife population, which was kind of a primary population I was dealing with at the time. And so I was like, kind of scared, like, oh, I don't want to make a regular goddess. Even though I was on a goddess centered path, I didn't want to like alienate people who are scared of goddesses, so to speak. I'm not scared, but you know, it's not language that speaks to them. And so uh, anyway, then I ended up, obviously I ended up branching out and started making other goddesses. And now I don't make very many things that are pregnant or nursing anymore, though they still have a big part of my heart. And I, you know, I'm always Mm. happy to make things that are pregnant, but in general, I've moved into to non-pregnant, non-birth art related goddesses at this point. But it really, so this is a long, it was a long process to Mm. start making them and, uh, and then to start making them at the level where we could like reproduce things that I'd already Mm -hmm. made instead of starting from starting with just a little ball of clay. And it's wonderful to start with a little ball of clay, but as far as like long-term sustainability of actually having it be a business versus a hobby, it, you you kind of have to find some ways to, to make it um, more replicatable, I find. Unless mm. I was going to charge like, you know, hundreds of dollars for each little thing. Yeah. I, I had to make it faster. <laughs> yeah. And it's evolved over a, a while now, hasn't it? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the business as it stands, Bridges Grove as it exists now is, is seven years old. We started out with pewter, making little small pewter sculptures. Again, pregnant, breastfeeding, mm. pregnant, breastfeeding, birthing, and then standing, like just a standing by itself, little kind of priestess. And uh, we started making those seven years ago and then um, kind of kept evolving, kept evolving yeah. from there with what we do and how many, how many different styles and what types of things we offer. So it's and beautiful. That one that you just showed us um, <laughs> and you said, that you had one left, but you've obviously made loads in that collection when you first did it. Did yes. you leave oh, all the I other ones have... behind or where are they? No, I actually still have all of those as well. I meant right. I have one left yeah. out. Oh, I have just one right that's actually yeah. left out. I was wondering yeah, right what happened to the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. No, I still have them. The whole, that original little series from yeah. the, yeah. from the, uh, from the pregnant woman all the way up to the, to the yeah. baby, to the 
child standing with the mother. I still have them all. That's just the only one I have out on my little space. Uh, got you. Yeah, I was wondering if you don't have them, where are they? <laughs> yeah, such story behind them. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And even on um, Bridges Grove, like your Instagram is gorgeous. I always really enjoy seeing like you have them in these different elements and there's the stories behind them and it's just yeah it's, it's beautiful encourage everyone to check it out that's for sure <laughs> and I would love to ask you is there a particular quote that resonates with you deeply and would you mind reading it to our listeners and this can be from your work or the work of someone that inspires you okay so I have so what I picked <laughs> is a little bit strange given the the next question about the magical tool (laughs) but I picked it anyway because I was thinking I I am I love quotes I am a very big fan of quotes from various (laughs) things and for a long time I had a a childbirth education blog and I just had like a whole quote library there you know I would have just like strings of anyway love collecting quotes there's there's something about a good quote you know that just like boils everything down into this good quote and so the one that I thought of is um this one from Starhawk that I've always drawn a lot of inspiration from particularly in ritual with children is where the this quote grabbed me in regards to in my life in regards to ritual with children and having it be like, not quite what you imagine, you know, like, because (laughs) different people have different. So it's from Starhawk and it is, the tools are unimportant. We have all we need to make magic, our bodies, our breath, our voices, each other. Beautiful. And I believe that too. I just love it because it, to me, it just summarizes really like a whole philosophy, like no matter where you go and no matter what you are doing, you always have everything you need to make magic. You always have everything you need to make magic. And people have this, you know, we were talking about the connection to the goddess and, and like, how do you know who wants to work with you? And it's like, she can be as close as your next breath or the heartbeat Mm. in your wrist. You know, like we don't have to crawl on our knees in the desert begging you know like we (laughs) we have what we need right now we have all we need to make magic so that's a favorite one and um and I had I kept I got one other one too in case that one was too dismissive of tools um which is um, (laughs) from from Lucy Pierce her creatrix book and she said and this so this is more regarding to creating art and making you know making things that you give out into the world and so she says our creations make doorways in the dark for others to slip out of the status quo and into the magic of greater possibility oh that is beautiful all you writers you weave words so beautifully together and it's just perfect Mm. (laughs) hits you in the heart and we're Mm. very excited we'll be having lucy on in april to talk about creatrix so yeah that's (laughs) That's great that's a little introduction and it's a really powerful book (laughs) and it was one of those ones that gave voice to things that i thought oh i thought i was the only one who thought that you know yeah i thought i was the only one who worried about things like that and uh it was funny to see it written written out in form in her book i love it i think yeah and I think that's the beautiful thing about um art no matter what kind of medium it is it does it transports you and it it does it opens up a door and 
it's mm-hmm. amazing how two people can look at the same thing and get completely different interpretations mm-hmm. and feelings. That's what I've always loved about art. So mm-hmm. yeah. it's universal. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and in saying how what you were talking about before, we have everything with with us already. If if you needed a tool and you had a, <laughs> a divine tool of the week that wasn't already on your person or within you. That's right. <laughs> Do you have one to share? <laughs> yes, I do. And I a know it's funny because I make all kinds of things, you know, that are magical yeah. for other people to have as tools. <laughs> so I love a good sacred object, you know, like yeah. my world is full of them. Yeah. And I love finding things too. You know, I love finding what there is and, you know, carrying my little shell home with me or whatever yeah. it is that I'm doing. I So I do think tools are, are useful. And uh, the one that I thought of... Um, with what I love working with is, um, is, uh, well, for me, it's my own little prayer books that I make. I make a prayer book every month for my 30 days of goddess practice that I offer. And for me, the prayer book is like, it's a, Mm. I call it a portable tiny temple. It's a, Mm. it's like a sacred space at your fingertips. And so I'll take this with me to the dentist, you know, like I will literally (laughs) like go to the dentist and like, here's my little book sitting on the Literally, <laughs> what my fatness to get rid But because there's something about having that encapsulated space that kind of holds all your magic. You know, this is your wisdom. This is your prayers. This is your observations. This is your affirmations. This is your wisdom, kind of all collected mm. in your little book, and you can, you know, just the act of even putting your hand on it yeah. can reconnect you to that sensation, that space, that um, that power, that recentering, that kind of coming back home. And so it becomes kind of like a symbol or a metaphor for those things you carry with you inside, but then you have a physical representation of them that you can touch back into like a, like a capsule or a container for Mm. your magic and wisdom in one place. So that's what I would say is a little, the daily prayer books of, um, experience is my favorite ritual tool. I love that. It's like a potent touchstone. It's gorgeous. Very much so. Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. And do you have anything brewing you would like to share with our podcast, Coven? And how can everyone find you and your incredible work? Anything brewing? I have... um, Let me think. So I have the... I have this 30 Days of Goddess practice that I lead or guide or make resources for every month. So I have another class coming up for that in March and then another one coming up in May. And that's really about creating and nurturing and sustaining daily devotional practice in your life. So that's what it's about. And in a, in in general, it can be kind of folded into or rolled into practices that you already have, teachers that you already study with, books that you already like. It's a practice that can kind of, you know, roll those things together. So, um, yeah, daily goddess centered devotional practice, 30 days of goddess. And then I am working on, um, and I have a, I publish a new little prayer book every month for that, that has, um, like 30, 30 different prayers in the back, little cards. And, um, I have a goddess centered daily devotional deck that is, um, three little decks in one. That is, uh, I'm still working on additions for that, but the core, the core deck is available in our Etsy shop mm. and, um, and I'm working on a couple new books, but they're not, you know, ready yet, yeah, <laughs> you're so, but I'm working on them. I'm working on them. 
<laughs> very exciting. That's that's a lot. <laughs> mm, definitely. <laughs> oh my so. gosh. It has been um, so wonderful to sit with you and talk with you about not only walking with Persephone, but, you know, a little snippet of your life in general. And you do, uh, it sounds like you live in the most beautiful space over there in the woods. And I'd love to go on a walk with you one day. (laughs) I was reading that book. I'm like, oh gosh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I do love where I live and I'm very uh, like rooted in my rooted in my rooted in my place. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes I forget that it's a, you know, kind of a privilege or, you know, uh, well, it is a privilege. Not everybody has access to like endless acres that they go walk around on. And um, yeah, and so that's that's really like a privilege to have the undisturbed space. My parents mm-hmm. have really about like they have about 140 acres or so or 200 or Gosh. something like that. Um, and they, they really adjoin like. So we have our little piece of property um, and then we share property lines with my brother behind us mm. and then my parents on two sides, oh, their wow. property borders us on two sides. So we have access to a lot of places to walk and explore where nobody else is, you know, there's nobody Amazing. else there. And, and it really is like a, a privilege to have access to that kind of land and that kind of exploration. And mm. so I, uh, and it really really restores me and nourishes me yeah. and uh, not has access to that but most people do have access to something so I'm That's like right. you know even yeah. you can yeah. you can usually find a little something even if it is more public than what I have so yeah. it is I'm very lucky I'm very lucky to have the, <laughs> the access I have and I know people make fun of Missouri but it's my bloodland and I love it here. <laughs> sounds amazing. And the privilege is not lost on you by the sounds. And thank you so much for offering up so much of yourself at such a, um, you know, vulnerable time in your life in walking with Persephone. Um, like Shannon and I have said repeatedly throughout this episode, we were, you know, really brought to tears in some of it and we can relate mm. so dearly. And and reading something like that is so validating and, you know, the mm. tools and um, suggestions put forth you know, in go some go a long way in empowering anyone reading it to to know we're not alone and to have suggestions of how to move forward and through that um, honoring yourself and and learning how to do that perhaps for the first time ever. So thank you so much for joining us um, and our podcast, Coven. We really really appreciated your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed being here and talking to both of you. Anytime. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> thank you, Molly. We love bringing Turns Out She's a Witch to you each week at no cost. So if you like what you hear, please consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We are a small operation researching, coordinating and producing the show ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the costs of making the show. As a thank you, you'll get access to some beautiful guided meditation recordings, a Patreon shout out on the podcast There's monthly live Q&As, competitions and giveaways, as well as a special book and movie review bonus episodes. For more details, please click the link in the show notes. Of course, if you want to get in touch, send us an email at tospsychic at gmail.com. As always, we welcome your questions. We'd love it if you left a review and shared the podcast with your family and friends and give us a follow over on Insta at turnsout underscore she's a witch. Until next time. Thanks for listening and being a part of our podcast covenant.